Welcome to the new podcast, In the Pit, by Paprika. We're the coordinating editors of Paprika, and we would love for you to join in our efforts to help make and shape these podcasts. We are currently looking for producers to help curate, edit, and oversee the production of the show to make these episodes come to life. No prior experience is necessary, and as this is a new position, the scope of the work is really up to you. You can fill the role of audio designer, composer, do outreach for new content and contributors, or if you have an itch to have a conversation with another community member within or outside of the Yale School of Architecture, you can curate and host your own episodes as well. Please reach out to us via email or through our website, www.paprika-rolling.com. This week, we're really excited for you to hear from a past publisher, an incoming student, and the spring 2020 coordinating editors talk about what they think Paprika is and can be. Thanks for tuning in, and cheers! My name's Liwei. I'm a dual degree graduate now uh, between the School of Architecture and School of Management. I'm originally from Canada. I did my bachelor's uh, of architectural studies there at the University of Waterloo. And then afterwards, I uh, worked in New York for a year while I was waiting to hear back from grad school. And then I came here. I'm Hannah Meyer Badoon, and I'm a rising MRC 1 second year. I'm Brian Orser, MRC 1 uh, class of 22 and uh, also coordinating editor of Paprika. So Liwei, you mentioned that you could offer a little history of Paprika. It's kind of funny that now I'm like an institutional memory for this publication because I never really imagined myself in this role. Paprika was started, I believe, um, the year before I started at Yale. When it started out, I think in the first year that they really did the issues, they, they put out a lot, uh, I think like over 20 issues over the course of the year. And if I recall, it started out as more of like a publication of record. So more about just like the daily happenings and more connected to like timely events. And over time, Paprika has evolved into more of a curatorial exercise with the issues. Starting from the first year that I was in, so Paprika Volume 2, I think that's when it started to coalesce around the idea of like themes per, per issue. Um, we started printing less and uh, it, it really built the basic format that we we kind of know today, uh, which is, again, really um, being blown up a little bit by by you guys, which I'm, I'm really excited about. It used to be printed in color, and then for many reasons, uh, by year three, we switched to completely black and white. Uh, and I think that actually gave the publication a sense of rigor uh, in a lot of ways, and it gave uh, the publication uh, a lot of cohesiveness uh, in its in its look. I'm not sure when the graphic designers got involved. Um, volume two, they were already involved. I'm not sure if they were in, in volume one, but um, I think one of the best parts of this publication is that it is such a fruitful collaboration between the School of Art uh, and us. Last year, uh, the year I was the publisher, we built a subscription service so that we could finally get some sustainable income streams uh, so we weren't relying on fundraising from scratch every year. Do you have any thoughts on the Paprika platform versus the Paprika question mark platform that we've introduced? Yeah, I love the question mark. Uh, when I saw it, um, I thought it was I thought it was brilliant, actually. And I think that Paprika has always been a bit strongest when they were doing these bulletins, actually, as opposed to um, the, the longer issues. Because they were reacting to something. Well, the reason that you would put out a bulletin is because everybody is caring about something. So you, you want to put something out that responds to that. The short informal multimedia format of paprika question mark paprika is is really great 
and yeah, I love the conversation that you guys produced uh, last week with, with Lily and Sarah. I think the, the issues are still important, but I, I sort of see, see that side of things as being more for, more for us, more as like a learning experience for the students. Um, because, you know, if I'm perfectly honest, like <laughs> I don't read a lot of the, the issues. And I think a lot of what's being written in, in them, like for me personally, is just not that interesting. <laughs> Yes. But like, not not necessarily in a bad way. I just generally don't find architectural writing very interesting. You know what I mean? Like, sure. it, I often find it very self-referential. And I think paprika is strongest when it's like when people use it as a platform to engage with other disciplines and invite other people who are not common voices at the School of Architecture to teach us something that you know we we might not have already learned about. Um, on the other hand, like I've I've edited uh, three issues um, and. It was it was always a nice experience. Um, I also didn't really care if people read the issues that we put out or not because doing the issues itself, reaching out to the people that we wanted to get content from, working with other schools, like this process in itself was so important for both the development of Propiga and also for everybody involved because it was like you're building your network and you're meeting these people and like you're enriching yourself and. I think I almost think this is more valuable than what somebody would gain from actually reading the thing. So it sounds in a way like you're answering the question, what is paprika with uh, something like it's a way to communicate with others uh, yeah. or, or a way to collaborate. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I, I'm really, I, I really believe in paprika as like uh, as a platform because the, the product, I mean, like it changes so fast and it changes all the time. And that's, the great thing about it you know like sometimes it's really bad sometimes it's really great and you never really know what you're going to get but i i think that like the for me at least personally uh the product is is not the important thing yeah one of the focuses is to have many many student voices and different mm -hmm. perspectives and so i think it's just an interesting comparison that you're making on like whether or not that comes through in an issue as opposed to like having these other kinds of conversations mm -hmm. You know, when I when I first got involved, I kind of wanted to rein everything in and standardize is not the right word, but kind of like just be like, okay, this is the product we're selling, you know, it's gonna cost $72 a year to subscribe to this and we're gonna mail it, you know, blah 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 blah. But but now I really think that it should stay as loose as possible and um, as like ad hoc and I, I, I think it should really reflect the personalities of the people who took on the coordinating editor's job and just be really vibrant and different uh, every semester. That's what's that's what's really exciting about it. It's more about the processes that have been developed uh, in Paprika rather than you know anything about a certain font that we have to use. Even the format of the broadsheet, you know, it's like this because it's kind of like the cheapest thing we can print on newsprint, but um, mm. doesn't necessarily have to be like this. But I, what I do think is really important is to keep these collaborations with the School of Art. Um, the, I think the graphic designer uh, collaboration is really, really fruitful. And mm -hmm. it, if anything, this is the thing that's going to make it such a, a nice archive of artifacts to, to be rediscovered. I love the student governance structure that's been set up for it. And I really like that it's so casual. You know, it can have a really esoteric academic essay in it, or it could just have like a poem that somebody wrote, or it could have like a funny drawing, or there could be an issue which is like almost entirely blank. Mm -hmm. Or like an issue can come out with like a set of cat blocks, which was, I think, what the trees issue did a, a while back. And, and I, I think all that is really wonderful.
I'm Alex Kim, a uh, rising second year Master of Environmental Design candidate. I'm Hannah Meyer Baidun, and I'm a rising second year MARC 1 candidate, uh, graduating class of 2022. And I'm Claudia Ansorena. I am an incoming MARC 2 student, uh, class of 2022. Claudia, where are you calling in from? So I'm calling in from Chicago, Illinois. I moved here for the summer with my boyfriend and his family. From the article that you had written, it sounded like you were quite plugged into the Florida Cuban-American community. Yes, I was born in Havana, Cuba, and then I immigrated with my parents to Miami, and, and we've been living there um, ever since. It is, it, it is kind of comprised of a lot of Cuban-Americans, but also a lot of other Latinx populations, and there's a Black community as well. It is varied, but there, there are a lot of Cuban-Americans, Cuban exiles there. As an incoming student, one of the things that we're interested in is whether or not you had even heard of Paprika before you had applied to Yale School of Architecture, and if so, if you had any impressions of it coming in. Yes, I, I'd heard of it via an open house. I attended last uh, November. So they gave a kind of introduction to to the publication and the facilities and, and all of that. But I didn't do much more digging than that. I thought the graphics were, were pretty interesting and was kind of excited just by the fact that it was student run. I, I have an interest in writing and publication in general in media. So, um, so I was very excited. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I would like to transition a little bit to talking about your piece. There were aspects of your piece that really resonated with me. I'm Korean-American. It's, it's a bit of a slippery slope to try to think about immigrant experience comparatively. But a lot of what you were mm -hmm. writing about with the anti-Blackness seems kind of endemic to the Cuban-American community and the way that it manifests. It just resonated a lot with what I've experienced and seen as a, as a Korean-American as well. It seemed like the piece was a fairly direct response to some personal experiences that you've had with friends and family. And uh, I just wanted to know sort of, I guess, what sparked your interest in writing this piece specifically? Yeah, it's been a culmination of things. Definitely being pent up at home during the coronavirus, you know, everyone staying, staying at home, working from home, having these feelings fester. And I think a lot of us also, the re-sparking of the, the protests, there's a lot of rage, there's a lot of questions of, of injustice and people out in the streets fighting for the Black Lives Matter movement. And then there's also, like I said, other things kind of festering underneath. And social media in particular has created little bubbles, and I think I kind of allude to them in the piece, the Facebook bubble. Mm -hmm. This is kind of what started... The, the incident that started it was speaking to my my family and seeing uh, on Facebook and seeing really their reaction to what's been going on, to the protests, to the the what they consider rioting, to the looting. All of all of this really has has shocked me. You know, I've gone through waves of emotions from shock to anger, confusion, um, a lot of helplessness. And just hurt in, in general. There's a, a kind of incredulous feeling as to not understanding why they're being like this. Because, because they're, they are my, my family members and their friends. And, you know, I do see them in a, in a very good light. So when, when this, all of this energy is out there, 
I, I don't understand where their reaction is coming from. So this piece, I think, was one of reflection, um, one of kind of digging back into my history, but also what I've heard from other people and other Cuban-Americans. Uh, I don't think I, I, I'm the only one to kind of speak out, even in the Cuban-American community, about this topic. So like I said, I think it, it was a culmination of all of this energy, um, for lack of a better word that just kind of manifested in this kind of cathartic journal experience, which which is the, the recipe. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought the way you wrote and spoke about it, it's because it was in the form of, of, of a recipe. Something about it felt incredibly resonant, incredibly accessible. Um, it's, it's kind of instructional. It made me think a lot about sort of similar conditions that happen a lot in uh, Korean-American communities, partially because of the... Uh, the Korean War, there is a, this isn't universal to Korean Americans, but there is a kind of a, a very pro-capitalist uh, mentality and a fear-mongering about communism that comes from a lot of like real hurt and real pain that's that, that people have experienced in their past. But what ends up resulting from that is this kind of um, really hyper-competitive mentality in some individuals that buys into the model minority myth, let's say. There's an unwillingness to see how much of that was anti-Blackness at its core. And there's all these images that came out from the LA uprising of Korean-American uh, shop shopkeepers posted up on the yeah. rooftops with, with rifles. And for a long time, I myself, I think, kind of bought into this, that, you know, there was a defense of property and that there was a kind of lionizing of the people who did that. And there's an unwillingness to sort of parse that more closely of how complexly problematic that is to to be calling back to that in the current moment. And I guess it all seems to kind of root from this unwillingness to see their pain in relation to war and refugee or, or immigrant experience as actually being a possibility for solidarity with the Black community and instead sort of seeing it as a kind of a an even narrower us versus them. Right. No, I, I agree. And I, I appreciate you sharing your experience um, or your thoughts on how maybe the piece affected you. I've also heard from other people that aren't in the, the Latinx community, that aren't in the Cuban-American community, that, that also have seen bits of their family histories or themselves in this. And, and I think that... Um, that right now, out of all of these feelings of helplessness, at least in my part, there's definitely this need for reflection and, and honesty. There's definitely a, a time where we're all being held up to what, what we say and what we do. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I definitely think that it's an important time in that way. Yes, absolutely. So just really wanted to say thank you for, for writing and contributing. No, oh, thank you. Yeah, definitely. It was a really, really interesting piece. Um, I just wanted to add that I really appreciated it written in the recipe format because it really shed light on how it's multiple things contributing mm -hmm. to this feeling. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you can't really just point to one thing and say, oh, well, that's why this is happening. It's It was really right. helpful to sort of break it apart in that way. Like you're saying, this is a time for reflection and how you wrote the piece really fit in with that now is also a time where we can see a lot of connections between many systems and things that are going on from healthcare to architecture to systemic racism. We were definitely interested to hear 
your thoughts on starting a fall term under these circumstances, how we could be supportive to incoming students as Paprika, but also how you're feeling about starting your education like this. Yeah, I'm a bit apprehensive. Um, I think there's just, like I said, so much energy right now, Mm -hmm. um, negative, but you know, there's also positive. There's definitely some hope. I think that we have, that at least the incoming students and those in the second year or, you know, upperclassmen, they have been uh, reaching out or we've been in contact more through through media, through through technology. And, and I think that has definitely helped. That's, that's where I see, you know, paprika rolling kind of fitting in there. I, I think that it's, it is a kind of a, a reflection of what's going on now. It can be almost a record of what's happening now. Because mm-hmm. once this all kind of blows over in terms of the coronavirus, hopefully, then sometimes we kind of forget all that we have been feeling mm-hmm. um, and it's easy to just move on. But it's it's definitely, I think, the a good format or formats to be able to recall and and not forget that. Use it as kind of fuel to keep um, momentum about other things going. So uh, yes, I think it can serve as that kind of record. I also think that it, it's a it's a good way for people to share their experiences. You know, as you guys have have given me the opportunity to through this piece, I, I think it it definitely um, others can share their experiences on this kind of platform. Um, so I'm kind of grateful for that. There's the power in, in hearing, I think more it, to the to the podcast. There's a power in hearing friendly voices or like-minded voices in in the in the auditory sense because mm-hmm. um, it provides this kind of comfort that otherwise, you know, not as an incoming student, not really understanding where you know why SOA lands in certain viewpoints. I think the the podcast could lend itself to providing that level of of understanding and comfort. So that that's where I, I kind of see it fitting in. Hi, my name is Audrey Fisher. I am a rising MARC one second year. Hi, I'm Angela Lufkin, and I am a rising third year MARC one. I'm Adam Thibodeau. I just finished up in the MARC two post pro program, class of 2020. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm in the same uh, MARC year as Audrey Fisher. Great. I'll start with the first question. Do you remember hearing of Paprika before you applied to Yale School of Architecture? I didn't, but I went to the fall 2017 open house for like prospective students. And I remember at that open house, they had Bolton 3B called What's on the Horizon. It had solicited a bunch of student voices about what they thought the mission statement for Yale School of Architecture was. And it was really in response to Deborah had a series of workshops with faculty on how they might shift the direction of the school. It actually filled out this image that I got of the School of Architecture that day of being very communally minded. And I was amazed that there was this publication where the students were putting forth what they felt like the school represented and stood for. 
And that was the first time I was even introduced to Paprika, but I was like, wow, <laughs> what an institution that has this like student body that has this collective voice. And I thought it was really incredible. Yeah, I, I actually did hunt it down before I applied. I think that something that's exciting about it is that it's very Googleable. <laughs> it's easy to kind of happen upon either through Google or Instagram or, you know, what have you. For me, it was really exciting as just a prospective student in a similar way that it gives such a a quick, immediate, direct access to the student voices in a way that a lot of schools don't have. So right off, you're able to kind of see what's on the ground happening at the school, but also get really direct pipelines to student ideas and student writing, which I thought was pretty awesome and a really good way to get a picture of the school. And, and honestly, we talked about that um, as the last group of CEs, who is Paprika's readership? It is something that we we came upon is that it's it's not just for people on the ground in the school, but students at other schools in architecture or people who just care about discussions that are happening in architecture school. And that way it's a it's a pretty unique direct pipeline to that kind of stuff. We're wondering if you have any reflections on how Paprika could better fulfill its mission. I think that like once I got into the School of Architecture, Paprika felt more opaque to me as a first year. Like I wasn't sure I felt very like awkward about getting involved and I couldn't tell like how official or how accessible it was. I think I carried that confusion into being a CE too. But then when it came to like producing issues, actually like the core of Paprika is super simple and extremely accessible. And I think sometimes the way that we see newspapers or publications or journals, it feels there's always these hierarchies of process and do you submit something and how do you know if it'll get accepted? That stop a lot of people from participating. But then once I became involved in it, I was like, oh, Paprika doesn't really have those barriers of entry, but like I assumed that it did. And I think you guys with the more collaborative like Paprika question mark platform are doing a good job of making it feel accessible to inputs from all directions. Somehow to make even first years or people who, who don't think to be a voice in that way, to know that it's easy and low stakes to be involved in Paprika. The more that that can be clear and democratically expressed, the just richer Paprika will be. That's great. Yeah, I think that that idea of accessibility that Ange brought up is kind of critical. And I think the, the beauty of Paprika in terms of like what its mission is, is that that mission changes pretty much every semester. I mean, I don't know how many other publications do this. Our editorial team changes every single semester, which is a huge undertaking, but is in the end really, you know, fruitful because it can let the editorial team take on what feels really specifically important for that moment. So obviously we're seeing that change immediately right now with you guys and how you're shifting to more media on the ground discussion and, and um, direct engagement, which feels like super critically important to this next coming semester. But again, that idea of accessibility, I think is the one uniting factor that makes Paprika really special that I personally believe needs to you know stay at the heart of it throughout. Because in the end, you know, like Angela said, a lot of not just architecture, but academic writing in general or academic journals are, are pretty protected, kind of can lead to a, a more insular readership, but also um, demographic of people who are willing to or comfortable submitting. Um, and I think the beauty of Paprika is that it is, I mean, I've said it now a couple of times, but like a direct pipeline to the students. And that level of accessibility is super critical because it allows people to, you know, be able to talk about not only what's going on directly in the school, but also just thoughts about architecture in general, um, thoughts about design, things that sometimes exist in these very protected circles. 
in a way that is very direct, straight from the students and directly online and accessible to anyone, both outside and inside the school. So while the, you know, the mission changes every semester, which is awesome, that level of accessibility is pretty critical, I think. And I think part of that too is like we had, we were talking at the end of our tenure as CEs and about this question of does Pepperdine need more structure? Like, does it need a editor in chief? How much more do you like institutionalize this thing that kind of is resisting that? Just after talking to you, Adam, and like Sarah and Max and thinking through what it would mean to have an editor in chief, it almost seems like those kinds of things are antithetical to what Paprika is, that there is no guiding voice, that there is no singular input. I think that maybe in order to maintain that, it's like keeping the core relationship between architecture and graphic design alive is really all you need. Like then beyond that, it doesn't need much of an institution. And that felt confusing at first being a CE because you're like, wait, there's there's got to be more structure than this. But that's kind of what lets Paprika be what it is. So this in a way leads into our next question. What are other architectural journals, websites or publication platforms that you follow apart from Paprika? And maybe alongside of that, kind of looking at Paprika in relation to these other publications and questions of barrier of entry and accessibility, and then what also you think maybe they have to offer that Paprika could potentially offer? Yeah, I do read a lot of other architectural publications and, you know, love surrounding myself by all kinds of discourse, but a lot of times there are barriers, not just to contribute, but also to access. In no world should... Uh... <laughs> work go unpaid, but I think that there is a certain rawness to Paprika that comes from its sort of bootstraps on the ground, shifting every semester with editorial board, constantly bringing in new writers that to me makes it pretty unique compared to others. I feel like I seek out a critique of like a project that I'm interested in just to see like what an architectural writer wrote, like Alexandra Lang about that project in the same way that people seek out movie critics. And, and I feel like in Paprika, it feels like the student body is hesitant to talk about architecture sometimes, like capital A architecture, in a way that I think other publications have writers that do that. That's just something that I've noticed that we don't really do. Sarah, one of our CEs, hosted an issue critique with Kyle Dugdale. She told me there's a lot of of students diagnosing problems they see in the architectural community in Paprika, but there's not a lot of authentic proposals for alternatives or project proposals in that way. I think both of these fit together in the way that like they both are symptomatic of students being apprehensive about writing about architecture. Because writing about a proposal to a solution means putting a stake in the ground in terms of design. Or critiquing a project means putting a stake in the ground in terms of what you believe architecture is. And it's definitely something I've noticed that I see elsewhere. We're, we're about to start the fall term uh, under extraordinary circumstances. And as CEs, we've been contemplating how Paprika can help foster a supportive and inclusive community. And we know that this is something that you all worked on during your term. We're curious if there's anything that you'd like to see done that, that you didn't get a chance to do or any advice you give us as we work towards that. You know, it's it's kind of funny because one of the last things Angela said was how do you encourage something from your basis of contributing writers, but also just the readership community? How do you actually solicit those things? The one thing talking to past CEs and in our experience, there's this discussion of we want to be as open to getting contribution from students as possible. Like we want, you know, like we want articles, but we also want columns or something that we wanted to do and all these things. I think every CE realizes a little too late. It really does take the work of the CEs to actively pursue I think that that is the sort of exciting thing about Paprika question mark, because it does appear to be sort of an active move on behalf of the CEs to say, we are going to directly engage and ask these questions. We're going to reach out to people, 
hop on calls with them, put those calls online, ask specific questions to the community. I totally agree with you. Sometimes it takes like empowering a contributor to be like, well, you could, you should just write about that. And like, we'll help you edit it. And also like making it clear, you can write anonymously. There's other ways of exercising your voice um, that I think is good. And that's the case with architecture in general. I mean, it's that's what all the discussions that we're having right now, right? It's sort of this impenetrable wall of a discipline. And so being a lot more honest about the sort of accessibility of how we can put voices to paper or, you know. And maybe part of that is the way issue editors are empowered. Each issue is really the issue editors. And so it's like partly empowering them to seek those things out too. We all need to be encouraging each other to encourage more voices. At least with paprika question mark, there's a way in which you can just get out the criticism or the feeling that you have without having to wait for the right, like curated moment to say it, so. Yeah, I think the thesis behind question mark and the way I've been trying to encourage participation is really to say that there's already enough gravity in the human experience of space, of architecture. You don't need to add, in all cases, an extra layer of discursive seriousness or academic reference. There's already a lot of gravity in our situation and person's experience that we want to tap into without posturing necessarily when it's not necessary. This like paprika rolling, paprika question mark platform feels like the pit where we can't all be on Zoom conversations all the time. And in fact, when we have Zoom happy hours, they're like painfully awkward because we're all just like staring at each other's tiles. But it's like you can stay privy on conversation at the school or things that are whispered in the hall. It is embedded in this digital platform. It's a nice way of keeping track of conversations you weren't present for because you're not in every virtual space that anyone's talking I know I personally have been leaning towards Twitter as my primary news source because it is the most direct on the ground of the spoken word of the people that are being impacted by certain things. In a lot of ways, Paprika almost does feel as close as architectural discourse has to a Twitter because it's like, and it can, it can be continued pushing in that direction through this Paprika question mark. It is sort of trying to get us that direct pipeline to thoughts. The idea of on the ground and that there are multiple grounds. Do you, as past CEs, have any advice on how to create that collectivity and create the kind of <laughs> rapid whispers that are happening? We had the, the 100th issue. We did this pretty extensive readership survey. My personal favorite one was it's nimble, it's fun, and it's a little bit bitchy. And I think that that is exactly what draws people to a publication like Paprika, because in a, such a protected discourse, like this capital A architecture bubble, there aren't a lot of opportunities to sort of get from the mouth of the people on the ground kind of opinion, and then have it be next to a really critically engaging, straight from the source academic statement piece by a student as well. It's that balance and that directness that I think keeps it really exciting.